Hope you brought your Bible. It's time to get it out. Um, turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And I'll read you my text in just a minute. It's, um, it's only one verse. But there's two th- quick things. Um, first of all, just to explain myself, um, you know, from time to time, I ask you to pray with me the Lord's Prayer. Here's my whole motive. I do not want your children to grow up never having heard the Lord's Prayer. The disciples come to Jesus and they say, teach us to pray. And so he taught them. And many of you, if you were born in the church, remember the Lord's Prayer, and we don't use it around here very much. And I don't want it to ever be ever, I don't want it to ever be forgotten. <clears throat> so every now and then, I throw it in and ask you to pray along with me. And that's my whole motive. I, I want your children to grow up remembering uh, that which Jesus taught his disciples to do. Now, uh, Hebrews 11, there is a new members class this afternoon. If you didn't sign up or notify us, no problem. We bought extra. So come be with us. And uh, uh, once you're completed with that, you're not obligated to do anything. But uh, I would say 90% of the whole new members class process is over for you uh, after this class this afternoon. Right after the second service, lunch is waiting you back in the refuge, which is back in the youth wing. Now, all that said, I want to read my text. It's one verse, but I'm going to do something that I I, um, very reluctantly do. (laughs) You know the reverence that I have for this book. Uh, I think you do. I am going to add a word which I think will help it be more understandable to you. That's the only reason I'm doing it. It's It's a very insignificant word. But I'll I'll tell you when I add it, just so that you will know that I added a word. It doesn't appear in the Greek. It's in verse 21, which is our text, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and here's the word, and... That's what I'm adding. And. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. The grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our God, this word endures forever. As the author of Hebrews has used 21 words in that verse, 21 words, um, and with those 21 words, he appeals to his, Jude, his Jewish audience, calling upon their memory, um, memories of two events in the life of one of their biggest heroes, Jacob. Now, unless you forget who he is, he's the third of the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. But it is Jacob, as you know, who is the father of the 12 tribes. So significant is Jacob in Israel that on numerous occasions in the Psalms and in the prophets, you will find Israel called Jacob. And he won't be referring to a person. It will be referring to a nation. So, The author of Hebrews takes two events, that's why I put the and in there, he takes two events 
out of the life of Jacob and, and uses those two events as illustrations for, of faith for his audience. Now, whereas these two events may not be lodged in our memories, um, all Judaism remembers the two events that are, that are found here. These are two separate events. Now, one other thing, if you look at the text in verse 21, you will notice there's the mention of Jacob and the mention of Joseph. Now, you, you don't get those two confused. Um, just for those who, just for a refresher real quick, Jacob is the father, Joseph is the son. Remember, Joseph is the one with the many-colored robe and was sold into slavery by his brothers and went down to Pharaoh and ultimately ascended to the right end of Pharaoh, went down to Egypt and ultimately ascended into the right end of Pharaoh. So Joseph is the son. Jacob is the father. He's the father of the 12 tribes and a significant player in the in the whole history of, of Israel now the first story that is alluded to in verse 21 uh, is one that is recorded for us in Genesis 48 if you want to look at it you're welcome to or you can just listen to me blab on and on but the uh, the thing that he says uh, when dying blessed each of his, the sons of Joseph that is recorded in, um, in Genesis 28, or excuse me, Genesis 48. Um, and, and I must say, as enchanting as is this story, and, and it's a great story, the one in Genesis 48, referred to in Hebrews 11. Uh, I'm, I'm going to have to do it pretty fast, so stay with me. Gang, in Genesis 48... At this point in the history of Israel, Jacob's family, who had moved south because of that famine, you remember? They are now living in Egypt, and they are a piece of foreign aristocracy. Pharaoh, uh, because of his love of Joseph, remember Joseph is the son because Joseph had done such wonderful things for Egypt, Pharaoh moved the whole family, Jacob and all his sons, moved all those boys down into Egypt. So they've been living in Egypt, in the best part of Egypt, a a place called, a region called Goshen. And they had, in essence, been living in the lap of luxury for the last 17 years. That's when this takes place. But though they enjoy their their status, Jacob knows that their inheritance does not lie on the banks of the Nile. And furthermore, no one, at least at this point, could have predicted how their future, the future of Israel, would so sour after Joseph's son had died. You remember, after he dies, then they start 
killing their babies and bringing them into bondage and all that business. So, Joseph, the son, sensing that his father is about to die, brings his two sons over to Jacob's house to receive this patriarchal blessing that I, that I mentioned to you last week. Now, if you're looking at Genesis 48, let me point out a couple of things real quick. You'll, you'll notice that in verse 5, Jacob is talking and he says, And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. Do you see what just took place? Um, Jacob is dying. Joseph brings his two boys over to see Grandpa uh, to get the patriarchal blessing. And one of the first things that Jacob does is, and he says, listen, your two boys, Joseph, they're going to be mine. Now, um, for those of you who might be interested, Jacob had 11 sons. One of them he considered dead because Joseph had been sold into slavery, et cetera, et cetera. So now they're down to 10. So when Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph's boys, comes in, he says, those are mine. So we go from 10 to 12. And that's where the 12 tribes of Israel came from, (laughs) if you're interested in that. But Reuben and Simeon, he says, your two boys, Joseph, are going to be just like Reuben and Simeon. Reuben and Simeon had come down uh, south into Egypt along with the rest of the family to weather the famine. Um, They were, pardon me, they were shepherds, which, by the way, were hated in Egypt. They were Bedouins. They were... uh, laborers, nobodies. They lived in tents. But not these other two boys. Not Ephraim and Manasseh. No, no. Those other ten, oh, they were nobodies. But Ephraim and Manasseh? Oh, my. Remember, when Joseph was put on the throne... Pharaoh gave to Joseph a wife. Her name was Azanath. She was the daughter of the high priest of Potipharah. And so now Joseph has a wife in Egypt, and they have two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh. And those boys are born with a silver spoon in their mouths. They're born inside the palace. They, were, they went to the finest schools that Egypt could offer. They were raised as men of position, gentlemen. And so Joseph, their daddy, brings those two boys over to see their grandfather. Um... And Jacob ignores all of that business about them being elitists. And he says, those two boys are mine. Um, He throws Joseph's two boys into the same lump with those other ten nobodies. Now, 
you're still with me, this is the story in Genesis 48. If you look at verse 10, uh, you're told that basically Jacob is blind. His eyes, his eyesight was virtually gone. So here's what happens, ladies and gentlemen, and here's the, here's the enchanting part of the story. Joseph brings his two boys over to see Grandpa to get the, period, uh, the patriarchal blessing. Grandpa is blind. So Joseph takes his two boys, and he puts the oldest boy, which would be Manasseh, opposite the right arm of Jacob, which is the, the hand of authority, so that the firstborn would receive the right hand of authority. He takes Ephraim, Joseph does, and puts Ephraim on the other side of Grandpa, on the left hand. Because Ephraim, you see, is the second born. At this point, verse 14 of the story, Genesis 48, Jacob pulls a stunner. He takes his hands and he crosses them. It's right there in the text. In fact, the Hebrew is, it's very interesting. He says, it says, he made his hands to understand. So whereas Papa Joseph has arranged, you know, firstborn over here with right hand and secondborn over here with left hand, because this is the big hand over here, you know. Jacob, the blind guy, Grandpa, takes his hands and crosses them. At that point, Joseph, the daddy of the two boys, sees what his dad has done. And he doesn't like it one bit. Um, that's in verse 17. And Joseph then begins to correct his daddy's senile mistake. Oh, no, 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 daddy. No, no, daddy. I mean, daddy, daddy, you got it like that, daddy. daddy. It's not supposed to be like that, daddy. No, no, daddy, you got it all wrong. And so Joseph steps in and tries to correct it. At that point, Jacob says, you leave me alone. Now he just said that to the number two in all of Egypt. You just leave me alone, Joseph. God knows what he's doing. And he's going to do things his way and not yours and not mine. I don't care who you are in Egypt, Joseph. Because you see, Joseph is making the mistake that all human nature makes. All of us. Joseph made the same mistake we make. 
And the mistake is, he assumes, Joseph assumes, that God blesses the first, the best, the biggest, the strongest, the richest. That that, that God, Joseph assumes, works on the same value system that we have. But he doesn't. That is, God doesn't. And Jacob, a blind man, Jacob, though he cannot see, he sees. He sees that God does not operate according to human convention. God does not operate on on the world's value system that says the richest, the strongest, the best, the smartest, they're the ones that succeed in heaven. You see, the world says that God accepts people based on their human performance, that God rewards merit doesn't God doesn't you see God's man was the second born and thus you have the crossing of his hands let me tell you just one other quick thing about this story Genesis 48, referred to in Hebrews 11. Jacob, this this is fascinating, ladies and gentlemen, fascinating. Jacob blesses his two grandsons with something that at that moment doesn't even exist. Jacob gives to his grandsons a portion of what? Cash? No, acreage? No, a a, a spot in Goshen? No. Jacob gives to his grandsons something that he has not yet got. but has only been promised to him. Here's a a dying man in Egypt giving away land to his grandsons that is presently owned by the Amorites. Jacob has no deed in his hand. But let me tell you what he does have in his hand. A promise. A promise from God. And he acts in response to the promise that he has from God. And ladies and gentlemen, do you know what the Bible calls that? 
faith. And that's what Hebrews 11.21a means. By using Jacob as an illustration of faith. Do you know what, when he, when he blessed those two boys and crossed him, you know what he did? Why? He gave away land that didn't even exist at that moment. <laughs> How did he ever know that? Because he believed God. Of all things. Believing in a God who has predicted and promised the future. <sighs> what a funny thing to do. <clears throat> now, guys, you understand, I mean, I could have preached all of that half of a verse for the whole sermon, but there's two events. That's why I stuck the and in there. There's two events that are mentioned in verse 21. It's in the, the second half of verse 21. And what is alluded to in the second half of 21 is referring to an event in Jacob's life that occurred much earlier than the one that we just spoke about in Genesis 48. It's another event. It happened way before this crossing the hands thing in 48. The other event happens in Genesis 32. And I got to tell you, It's one of my all-time favorites. I even brought a visual aid. This is the other, the second half of verse 21. He's worshiping on his staff, it says, in, in Hebrews. About 10 years ago... Um, I preached a series of sermons drawn from Genesis 32. It is, it is a chapter known about Jacob at Peniel, P-I-N-I-E-L. It's the story, you may recall, do you remember the story? Genesis 32 where Jacob wrestles with God all night, remember that? And he loses. Well, I preached a series of sermons. I think it was like 10 sermons out of Genesis 32. And on my 60th birthday, the church gave me this. It's kind of heavy. Do you know who he is? Now, that's Jacob. You know what this is? This is a staff. And do you know what he's doing? He's leaning on the top of his staff. Just like Hebrews 11, verse 21b says. 
Um, now, let me explain this. Guys, most of Jacob, well, the early, half of Jacob's life prior to Genesis 32, Jacob lived his life based on a character flaw. You know, he was the deceiver, he was the manipulator. You remember that? Even his name, Jacob. His name means deceiver. He lived all of his life as a deceiver and as a manipulator and as a schemer. Until Genesis 32. The whole of his life was spent conniving and manipulating Until one night, at the river Jabbok, he meets God. And he wrestles with him all night. And it was there, at the Jabbok. that God wrestled Jacob, the deceiver, to the ground and overpowered him. He was overpowered by a God who refused to allow him to waste his life as a deceiver. He was wrestled to the ground and made to cry, Uncle! By a God who refused to let him go. He was a man who wrestled with God at the Jabbok. And he lost. And as a reminder of his loss, God dislocated his hip. Genesis 32. And for the rest of his life, Jacob walked with a limp. leaning on his staff. So with each step that he took, he was reminded of who he had been, the deceiver. Reminded of that he was not that anymore.
because he had been overpowered by a God who set his love on him while he was still in the womb. Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. And every step that he took, he remembered what I used to be. But I'm not anymore. Because God chose to set his love on me before the foundations of the earth. And though Jacob had lived so much of his life in rebellion and in self-consumption, God wrestled with him. And he wrestled him into sweet submission. And so here, in Hebrews 11, verse 21, nearing the end of his life, we find Jacob once again worshiping God. Leaning on his staff. Leaning on the very thing that symbolized his submission to God. What a picture. Ladies and gentlemen, I submit to you that this staff was one of Jacob's prized possessions. He had wrestled with God that night and lost. And now he rejoices and worships the God who beat him. I further suggest that losing to God was one of his fondest memories. And so he closes out his life, celebrating that event, leaning on the staff that was made necessary because he wrestled with God and lost. You see, ladies and gentlemen, for Jacob, faith means that at death, 
there is life. A new one. A different one. An eternal one. Ladies and gentlemen, have you lost to this God? Jacob's God. Have you cried, Uncle? Have you discovered how foolish it is to oppose him? Have you heard of the love that this God has for sinners? Have you heard about how that love was put on display in the sending of his only begotten, his only beloved son to die for people who deserve nothing but punishment from him? Has the love of God ever melted your hard heart like it did Jacob's? Are you ready to give up your fight? ready to walk with a limp you see Ed is dying Jacob said all of that how he worshiped while leaning on his staff. Tell me. Jacob said a lot when he died. What will the message be when you die? Our Father, I, I do pray that you'll use your word to spark an interest in the holy things of God and that people will see that to fight you, to oppose you, to resist you is, is foolhardiness. It's foolish not simply because they will lose. It's foolish because they will miss out on the great love of God for sinners a love that was put on display in all that Jesus Christ accomplished as the payment for sin for people who deserve nothing but punishment. Would you allow them to see it? Would you open eyes so that men can see, not the stern judge issuing more laws, 
but might they see the God with whom Jacob wrestled? Might they see the God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him might not perish but have everlasting life? Do that, Father, for Jesus' sake. In his name we pray.